Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew Was an NQT slash ECT, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as an NQT. And we will also reveal the one thing we wish we knew as an NQT that made a real difference to our teaching. Today, a trip back in memory lane, I'm talking to Richard Sutton-Smith. Richard and I go back a long way as we trained together in 1983. Actually, we used to huddle together because we were the only two men on our course. Now, Richard was always advanced for his age and he was on the training course. He was way ahead of me. So by 1989, he was a deputy head. And then just four short years later, he got his first headship. Well, six headships later, NLE later, basically a guru of all things education, here we are. This man is a serious educator with so much experience that today is sure to be full of fascinating insights into the art of being a great teacher. Rich, so good to see you. Thanks very much for coming to speak to me today. Thank you, Jess. It's really nice to see you as well. And um, I don't think I'll be able to live up to that. No, you will. Of course you will. But he always played himself down as well. He was always ahead of the game, which (laughs) is why we were such good friends. Well, we are going to go back, of course, to uh, 1984, listeners, because um, Rich and I used to write a newspaper called Prig News, a massively successful satirical newspaper that we had at our college. And here we are almost 40 years later, still chuntering on about education. So given that you've spent almost your entire life in education (laughs) as a student or teacher, what would you say about becoming a teacher to someone who's just entering the profession today? Well, it's interesting you should say that because like you, I've got two daughters And they are both interested in becoming teachers, different ages. One's done a lot of other things. And it is a great and noble ancient profession, isn't it? And, you know, the sheer joy that you get from changing lives, the sheer joy, the pleasure you get from kind of making um, somebody believe in themselves. It's it's not just about what they're taught and what they learn, but it's also about them as people. Um, And that's immense, you know, that sort of, magic really that happens magic that i love that word because it is magic i'm tingling man already just hearing your first few sentences because magic is the right word and to have that power as a teacher to make magical things happen i think is such a privilege and so special yeah i i i, I remember once describing a teacher a great teacher as an alchemist and I was quite, I was quite pleased with myself because I've come, nice. I've come up with this brilliant word. I had to look it up to remember what it meant. But basically, you know, it's that sort of thing where you can actually turn something normal into gold, and and that might just be about making a child believe in themselves or opening mm. a door for them that they hadn't thought of. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, that's that's what's great about it, and you get that opportunity every day. Um, with my girls, obviously, you know, it's been a bit difficult because I've also had to say to them, look, this isn't an easy job and it's a job without limits. So, you know, you have to put the limits in, don't you? Because it it is limitless. And when you start, and I I work a lot with trainee teachers now, when you start, they just say, I can't do everything. And you say, good, I'm glad you've learned that very early because you can't. 
So now you, the skill is finding what's the most important things you've got to do and making sure you do those really well. Yeah, managing managing your time and, and having one eye on your own well-being or ear or something on your own well-being is just something on it yeah it's just it's you know it's it's so important because particularly in your in your first couple of years you could work every single hour you were awake and yes. half of the night as well so, yeah and, and that's not possible and listen all you trainee new teachers out there it's not possible don't do it because you won't be a better teacher for doing it You'll be uh, you'll be less effective in the classroom because you're stressed and tired and worn out and all those things. Mm. And I'm sure you've learned that already. You must look after yourself as the top priority. And hopefully you're in a school that looks after you too. Um, Absolutely, yeah. How do you best look after your staff? As I say, you've had hundreds of staff, mm. haven't you? Because you've been ahead in so many schools, so many schools. Successful in all of them, I hasten to add. It's not that they kicked him out. It's because he was so successful that he kept getting asked to go to other schools. I think success is in the eye in the eyes of others, isn't it, really? <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I've always been driven by, and you read it a lot, don't you, in different places, I've always been driven by the idea that um, your job as a leader is to empower people. So the more opportunity you can give people to try things out and grow without fear of failure. You know, we we have a passion about how we should treat children um, in order for them to, to self-actualise and be their best. And what always amazes me is that we don't treat our adults in schools like that. Well, you do, don't you? I try to, yeah. And I try to, too. Yeah. And and that's the thing, I think. We both try really hard because when I teach trainee teachers, I say to them, this is how I teach when I'm teaching children. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're human beings. We need the same stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same, isn't it, for looking after your staff. Mm. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you don't get greatness in anything unless you allow people to fail and... So the culture in a school is so important. If you know, if there is a fear of any failure, then you get people being safe. Yeah. And we don't make great teaching experiences through always being safe. No. Sometimes safe just for your own sanity. Absolutely. Because you yeah, can't yeah. be pushing the boat out every day on something new and different. No. no. And I used to oscillate when I was an inexperienced teacher. I'd think, I want to try this. I want to try this. Yeah. And I think, but I can't face it today. So we're going to work out of the maths book today because, yeah. because I know what it is. I know what I'm going to get. Children will feel secure. And then when I was feeling bolder, I'd have days when I think, I'm going to try this because this seems to me like such a good idea. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, you, I think you're absolutely right. And and that that is a really important thing to kind of learn. And I didn't learn it at the beginning, definitely not. But you have to have that kind of balance between the kind of incredibly exciting stuff that you think will make memories and, yeah. and then and then the mundane, because the mundane is what builds some of the skills, you know. So that balance is important in teaching, I think. I think, I think so. And it's good preparation for life for them, isn't it? I used to yeah. say to my classes quite regularly, I'm not sure this works very interesting, mm. but I've done my best to make it interesting, but it's really important. So we've got to do it as well as you possibly can. Yeah. And once we've achieved what we need to achieve, we'll go on to something that looks a bit more interesting. Yeah, and that is like life. (laughs) Yeah, isn't it just? (laughs) Do you think that things are changing for teachers now? Do you think it's tougher now? 
I speak to my mum, who's 90 years old, and she talked about having inspections and yeah, all the preparation. Teacher, she? Yeah, she yeah. was, and all the and preparation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all the preparation she had to do, and and that actually it was very demanding, and people would come in and say, that's not a very good lesson, mm. Miss Haste. Yeah. What are you doing? Sort yourself out. But do you think it's tougher now? I'd like to take you back to 1888, right? So I was talking about my daughters. We weren't at college then, were we? I think we might have been, actually. No, right. It was <laughs> round about that time. And it, um, so I've got five generations of teachers in my family. Wow. So when you ask that sort of question and you think about was it tougher, it's really hard to tell, isn't it? Because so much has changed recently. I think it is tougher. It was tough for us. We put a lot of hours in. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but we were, you know, the, the era that we came out in, the window dressing in your classrooms, the displays, <laughs> they were critical. So, you know, we'd spend, I don't know, we'd be, we'd work as a team, as a staff. We'd work when I was first teaching. We'd work till eight or nine in the evening. Yeah, no, I do remember that. We'd get pizza in, a few drinks. But we were being creative and we were chatting. A few drapes. Drapes, stuffed animals. We had a lot of stuffed animals because yeah. I was up in Cambridgeshire and we were quite near... Bishop Gross Test College in Lincoln. Oh, yeah. And that, that literally, there were more stuffed animals than students there. <laughs> and it was teacher training institute. And, um, yeah, so, you know, we put a lot of hours in, but we didn't put hours in, sat at a laptop in our bedrooms mm. doing oh, assessments. That's such a good point. That's true. Um, you know, rightly or wrongly. I, I, but we were doing things that we thought made memories for the children. But I do think it is tougher now because it's so much more account. There's so much more accountability, and you're so much more exposed. Yeah, I think that's the big change, isn't it? The accountability because you were accountable, and you're always accountable to your children, aren't you? Yeah, and you feel that more strongly than anything. But there's a pressure to external accountability that is actually very uncomfortable in schools mm. and that school leaders and teachers feel every minute, I think. I had a conversation yesterday with a teacher and she was asking me how I felt about the fact that she was getting parents communicating with her at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Now, when we started, you saw the parents on the gate. That's it. And you did you did your stuff and you listened and, you you know, you, you took their concerns um, on and, and what have you. You didn't go home and then look at your whatever communic communication system you've got, class dojo or whatever it might be, you know. You didn't go home and look at that and answer through the night about why no. somebody had been upset in class today and that sort of thing. I think we've let that drift in. Yeah. I think it always existed to a certain extent in private education, slightly more, that that you were paying, so you had a right to, you know, get the teacher out of the shower or the bath. Yeah. That was going but but that is a massive extra pressure. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? And, and like, I, I like the way you've described it. We've let it drift in. I think so, yeah. Because something, although I, I retired from Headship in 2014, and, we, and we still, of course, sadly <laughs> missed, and we still didn't have then that instant communication no. that we have now. No. And I, and I think that's that's a big failing. I know now quite a few schools that say after six o'clock, no one will reply. Yeah. Please send your email. No one will reply. But I still think it's a pressure, isn't it? Because if yeah. you see a message that's coming from the parent who gives you the most difficulties, yeah. the temptation is to read it. Don't leave it. Because otherwise you're feeling anxious. Yeah. Um, it's a very simple thing, isn't it? I mean, for, for, for any school 
leadership to say, you know, you won't hear from our teachers after half five or, or six, yeah. Um, but it doesn't happen everywhere. There's that accountability and exposure. You know, you can be all over social media now without even knowing it. Uh, as soon as you open your mouth in the morning, you know, do you hear what she said? Or do you hear what he said? You know, yeah. Um, and then there's the whole accountability that's come with Sats and Ofsted as well, which I think puts a lot of pressure on teachers. Yeah, well, um, well, it does, doesn't it? Ofsted particularly. We'll come back to them, I think, later on. But but before we get into yeah. things that annoy the life out of us, <laughs> let's uh, let's go back to your first year of teaching uh, and, and yeah. think about standout moments, yeah. good or bad, because. The thing I've loved since starting this podcast is the variety of things that people have to say. Right. And uh, yeah. so I'm sure you've got a few things that... I've got a couple of things. And one 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 is very much against me, but I think it's quite a good learning opportunity. But the first thing, anytime anyone asks me about my first year of teaching, it's the challenging kids. So I had, a, I had a little boy, I had a year three class. I don't think we even called them year three then. I think it was third. No, you know. that's it. Yeah. First year juniors. First year juniors. And Jamie was a runaway. Oh, no. So Jamie would leave the classroom whenever he could. It was a nice sunny day. All the windows were open and halfway through a maths lesson, which I thought was a really entertaining <laughs> maths lesson. Um, you know, got I got practical stuff out and I was posing loads of questions. Jamie had gone through the open window. No. Uh, yeah. And I remember um, <laughs> I remember getting my um, colleague in the next door class because it was an open plan school. You remember those? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I remember getting her to come in and I said, I'm just going to have to go after Jamie. And he hurtled straight off across the road, main road, into a building site. The head teacher joined me. He'd just got a brand new, beautiful woolen blue suit, <laughs> waistcoat, lovely new, lovely new boots. And um, about five minutes later, Jamie was like a rat up a drainpipe. He was over everything on this uh, on this building site, and um, he um, the head tripped and fell in a puddle and was sat there in a puddle. And I thought, <laughs> I have no idea how this is going to go. And he just sat there laughing, and that taught me a big lesson. Really, uh, good, but, yeah, I love that head already. Yeah, and I, I, I but I, I mean, I had that again. It's about the fourth school I was ahead of. First day, I was standing in the entrance hall at nine thirty, and suddenly it felt like one of those traffic policemen that's directing traffic in Rome. You know, ten kids appeared from different directions, hurtled past me, all heading away, escaping from their classroom. <laughs> First day at this school. <laughs> Uh, double ri school so you know a lot a lot of challenges there um effing and blinding and it all came back to me jamie came back to me and there was 10 more little jamies i went after them found them on the play for they hurled a lot of abuse sticks and stones at me no and i thought i've never had a stick thrown at me by a child no you see you've got more presence than i (laughs) I, yeah that was my first day and i thought we're never going to turn this place around we're just not going to do it you know if kids literally want to hurt you but we did in the end. Um, my other big learning thing was, um, and I wrote this down because I always get it. I always get it slightly. I'm not sure if I embellish it now slightly. Well, no, you have to embellish it, don't you? Because it makes the story better. Okay. Even if uh, it's only ninety percent true. But you know how you remember things when memories are attached to emotions, and, and the emotion here is utter pain. Okay, so not physical pain. So I was called into the head's office in my first year. And sitting in there was 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 the head teacher and uh, Janet, our very dour Scottish deputy, absolute legend and brilliant, brilliant teacher. 
and 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 the head was very good at letting other people do his dirty work for him right and i was called in i've got no idea why i was called in and um janet picked up the reins and said um how long do you think i could teach your class without doing any planning now not being stupid i sensed a trick question here <laughs> so i thought well i won't say 10 minutes how long do you think i could teach your class without doing any planning richard and i said um an hour maybe and she said mm. she said yeah I could do an hour without any planning and I'll tell you what it would be great learning opportunities for all your kids actually no but do you know what I reckon I could do a whole day without doing any planning whatsoever and it would still be really good exemplary teaching no no I think I could do two days in your class without any planning and still deliver an excellent education for those kids but Richard you can't <laughs> And oh, nice. I would like to say that your planning is what we call in education a bit crap. <laughs> Lesson learned, I think. You know, you've got to put a bit of the spade work in no, to you, get it right. You sure um, have. And I thought I could breeze through it. And then, you know, I learned it early, thanks to her. And that's a good thing to learn, <laughs> isn't it? When I, when I was in my final teaching practice. Where was that? Well, better not name it, but yeah. Yeah, it was in a in a in a school near Cambridge. Yeah, um, and I got called into the head teacher's <laughs> office, and uh, he said, "Your planning's not very good, is oh, it?" So you had the same. Um... I did, but I was trying really hard. I was quite affronted because the teacher in those days, you were often seen as an encumbrance, weren't you, as a yeah. student? Yeah. They didn't really want you there. It's my class. I don't want you in here. I'm not going to help you at all. Yeah. And I got no help from my teacher, nothing. She never explained to me how the school planned, if they planned at all, because I don't think they did. Mm. Nothing. She never told me. So anyway, I'd done my, what the college had said, you know, yeah. which wasn't much either, was it? Not really. Some bits of A4 paper with some lesson ideas on. Yeah. And uh, nothing like now. I'm, I'm amazed at what they do now and how good they are now. Yeah. And they know way more than I ever knew. And he said, uh, he said, your planning's not good enough. And and what got into my head, I don't know, because when I speak to trainee teachers now, I said, when the school asks you to do something, you say, yes, I'd love to do it like that. Yeah. Please tell me if there's anything else you want me to do. I said, because you're there as a guest, much as you're part of the staff. Yeah. They're going to write your reports. You've got to do what they want because yeah. Yeah. it's their children, it's their school much as hopefully you'll be able to try things out, yeah. it's still their school. Yeah. And I said, in response, I said, who am I planning for, you or me? You said that in your student in practice. My, in my final teaching practice yeah, to the head. That, Guess how that went down? Well, it sounds like you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that went down so badly unsurprisingly mm. so i was tony do you remember tony the pe specialist oh, yeah, tony yeah, robinson yeah, yeah, yeah. wonderful man he mm. was my mentor in, in my yeah yeah in my final teaching Flexible practice man. and he said jeremy that wasn't the answer to give mm. he said the answer to give is you say ah oh, could you give me an example of how you'd like me to do it and yeah. i would love to do it like that yeah I said, well, I would, Tony. I said, no, you're right. I'm a bit impulsive in that way. But uh, I said, but the trouble is they don't do any planning as far as I can see, so there isn't a way. Mm. He said, right, well, we'll uh, get together then and <laughs> make sure that it at least satisfies the head. 
you've got to play the game, haven't you? To no, you have. But, you have when you're training. But I actually think that I don't. I think it probably in my third, fourth year, maybe fourth year, I had a student, and I think I learned more about teaching, explaining how I taught to him, than I had done in all the time I've been at college. When you have to actually talk about it, yeah, you become even tighter on what you think you're focused on. Yeah, definitely. Einstein said, didn't he? Uh, you can only say you understand something properly if you can explain it simply. Mm, yeah. and, and and that's so true because the moment you've got to say to another teacher when they say, why would you do it like that? And you think, well, I've never thought about it. I've always intuitively done it like mm. that. But you've got to explain and give a justification. Yeah. It's, but I mean, again, you know, there, there is that there is that danger, isn't there? I mean, I, I've done similar things like you were describing there on interviews for headship where they've asked me, what I think great teaching is, and I've answered, well, it's not rocket science, is it? And somehow I haven't got the job, you know. <laughs> but none of it should be rocket science. No, and it isn't, is it? Because we always argue, we've always argued, you know, that teaching falls somewhere between an art and a craft and a science. Yeah. And, you know, that's what you've got to be aiming for. You the need time. the structures in, don't you? Because it makes your life so much easier. Yeah. And then you need yourself. Yeah. And that's why it's such a hard job, I think, because mm. I say to the trainee teachers, organising a good lesson is not all that difficult. No. Be clear what you want to recap, be clear what the new learning is, and be clear what the activity is where children are going to yeah. use and apply that. Yeah. I did a lot of training for um, teaching assistants a few years ago, and I'd reduced it down to five things, and we used to use a mnemonic um Quark, Q-U-A-R-K. Essentially the same things as you've just described. Tell us what those things are, though, if I'm not putting you on the spot. Well, I tried to remember it the other day. <laughs> Quest, so Q was, question. what questions are you going to ask? U was, um, what do you want them to understand? Um, and the A, I think, was something around, you know, what kind of answers are you expecting and what odd answers? How are you going to deal with yeah, the odd good. answers? The R was, um, so where in this lesson are you going to reflect, you know, with them on whether they're getting it or not? And the K was, what knowledge do you want them to walk out with? You know? Nice. And, uh, so, so remember that, listeners, Quark, Q-U-A-R-K. Yeah, I, did, I thought about writing a book about that, but I, I couldn't get more than one page. <laughs> 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 hey, you you need to speak to some people I know who waffle on endlessly saying yeah. the same thing for 80 pages. I think you've highlighted some really interesting points there, haven't you, about, about those early challenges. So what about, what about parents? Mm. Some early career teachers certainly find them challenging, and, and I know I did, and I mm. was quite afraid, I think is the right word, of some of my parents. And when I went through my career... I was still, even at the end, in my final year of headship, I was wary of some parents, yeah. even though you were no longer afraid. Yeah. What about, do you? did you have any experiences where you thought, whew? I've got, I've got one takeout, which I'll say first in case I forget it, which is that I think one of the things we did in the primary school that I was working in a couple of schools back, we brought in coaches to do um, specific training on how to deal with uh, difficult parents or challenging parents. The approach that we took was very much the way that you ought to approach behaviour issues. When a child is misbehaving in a class, you often start to take that personally, and that grows and grows and grows. No, it does. You know, absolutely awful. And that's the same with parents. 
so we went down the line of saying, okay, how can we structure on every occasion a professional conversation that you stick to the same kind of things? You virtually have a script that you go through with parents. They, they don't, they're not aware that you're going through a no. script. In order, again, to empower staff to deal with those difficult moments, you know, but like you, I've had that all the way through. And I think parents potentially are more demanding now because that's a sort of societal thing, really. I think that's right. I love the idea of a script because we used to have a script. Yeah. I used to use it a bit more openly. I'd say, right, there's key things. I'm going to record them. Yeah. I want to go through. So I'm going to yeah. make sure I don't miss anything out. So I'm going to write it on my school concern form. Yeah. And then when they veered off at a tangent because they wanted to swear at you, you'd say, Hold on a moment. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Can you just stop? Because I yeah. I've got to yeah. write that down. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, and um, and we tended to finish with sort of like and and in an ideal world, what would you like to happen? That's it. Which is the sixty-four million dollar question? Because you know, when you get someone comes back and said, "Well, I'd like you to bugger off," you know, <laughs> I mean, that's um, you know, that doesn't always work. But again, it's taking the stress out of it. Yeah, it is. The pinch points in teaching, you need to find ways of taking the stress Definitely. out of it, you know, and, and prepping for those sort of things so that it becomes habit how you deal with them, I think. Yeah, that's what it needs because the stress is I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with it, No, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. That was certainly in yeah. my early career. Yeah. Um, how am I going to deal with it? And, and when you don't know because we – I don't know about you, but mm. in my early career – there were no structures for anything. No, nothing. There were no right. systems. Right. You yeah. did your own thing, yeah. which was was nice in the in the freedom it gave you. But actually, it was worrying when things went wrong because you didn't know how to do it. Well, no one did watched it. me teach in my first year, didn't they? No, I I had I had one guy watch me teach, mm. and he was from the local authority. Yeah, and he came in and he was drunk. And I thought, who is this guy? But the head had <laughs> brought him up and said, "Here's Mister So and So." But he was drunk, and uh, and I was working, sitting on a table, working with some children. He said, "Just come here a minute." He said, "Do you realise every child in your class has been out of the classroom in the ten minutes I've been in here?" Right. And I said, "Well, they haven't, have they?" I said, "Because I've been sitting here with these six. <laughs> and I said, "And I've got most of the class standing in, and I can see them." He said, "You have your door open." I said, I like having the door open. It mm, mm. makes it a slightly more relaxed atmosphere. And he said, but if you had your door closed, as you heard the door opening, you could spin round and catch them. Mm. I said, but I don't have to catch them because they haven't been out. Mm. They have, all of them. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, children, just carry on a bit, can you yeah. please? Because I just need to go, uh, Mr. So-and-so and I just need to go and see the head. And I took him down to the head teacher yeah. and I said, could you have a seat outside, Mr. So-and-so? And I went in and saw the head and I said, he's drunk. <laughs> he's mad. He's bonkers. I don't want him in the classroom anymore because he's dangerous. And and the head said, radio, he said, you go back to class. I'll sort him. <laughs> and I never saw him again. <laughs> There's an interesting point there, though, isn't there, as well, about being a young teacher and having the courage of your convictions sometimes. If you can do it politely and professionally, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes you have to stand up for yourself. No, as well. you do. I um, think that's so important. You know, and you will have situations, you, you were talking about your teaching practice, where you go into places and you think, um, actually, the class that I'm taking over from an experienced teacher, it really isn't working. And you can't wander around as a student and say, this is terrible, isn't it? No. I mean, but you need to stand up for what you believe in. 
as well. And I think sometimes you feel you can't. Yeah. And but, as a trainer, you have to tread quite a fine line, yeah. don't you? It's not always easy because you think, this is so not the right way to do it. This teacher yeah. bullies the children. I don't want to bully the children no. yeah. or whatever, but you still have to tread that fine line, mm. don't you? Mm. Yeah, definitely. So what about uh, other challenging aspects in your career then? Mm. I mean, I, I, I'm hesitant to say Ofsted because I know that you trained as an Ofsted inspector, so maybe you've got much mm. better things to say than I have to say about them. Because you said earlier, didn't you, yeah. about external pressures and being accountable and how difficult it is with with Ofsted and results and things. But personally, I think Ofsted are quite a drain on the profession. Mm. What's your perspective from both sides? Challenges, um, yeah, I think I've probably got one small and one major challenge, and I would say Ofsted with a major challenge. I mean, I have been an inspector, and my frustration is that I don't think we need Ofsted to improve us and that it's a waste of money and it's a lot of money um and we need more great teachers not more scrutineers mm. and i have this kind of feeling about ofsted and i'll try and explain it a little bit quickly that it creates what i call a tyranny of orthodoxy mm. and that happens because if you think about it every year School spends a lot of time working on its priorities for the year based on what parents are saying, what the children need, what the staff think. And you write a school plan as a school leader and everybody has a bit of an input into that and, and their own little parts of it that they want to take for. Come about October, if you're a head teacher or a subject leader, you go to meetings and suddenly people have started dripping in, oh, we've had Ofsted. Um, oh, how did that go? Well, they were looking at this and this and this. So this concept of kind of like they're looking at this and this and this. Sometimes they tell you what they're looking at because the the uh, chief inspector announces it on Twitter or <laughs> or wherever she's announcing it or he's announcing it. Um, but whatever it is, by about October, there's this sort of orthodoxy of like, oh, said they're going to be doing this. They want to know about deep dives or they want to know about phonics in year six or they want to know, you know, and and there becomes this sort of currency where everybody starts to get a little bit anxious and a little bit tense about it. And before you know it, everybody's gone back to their schools and is talking with subject leaders and saying with other subject leaders or with the senior leadership and saying, you know, we need to really focus on this. We need to be doing it this way. You know, and we've had so many of these orthodoxies, yeah, you know, right back to the literacy hour and, and everything else. And, you know, um, they, they were looking at planning. Now they don't look at planning, et cetera, et cetera. Fundamentally, everybody has to move in line with whatever the scrutineers are scrutinising. So in the end, to me, it's a very unhealthy system. It's a bit like letting things be run by robots, except that these robots change their minds every year. Yeah. And, and How bad's that? Good teaching is good teaching. It's the same 50 years ago as it is now. I still think uh, trainees say to me sometimes, would you still yeah. be an outstanding teacher now? I say, yeah, of course I would, because I'm very good at getting children to learn really well. Yeah. And that's what great teaching is. Yeah. And 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 I mean, I think you, you get into that situation where everybody's conforming and you and I know, and, and I hope everybody listening knows that the beauty of the English education system and particularly primary schooling was the diversity of it. Yeah. The richness that came from 
different people, some of them mad, you know, <laughs> different people. But personalising it as well to yeah, your community. To your community, yeah. So so it doesn't really matter what your children in your school need or your community needs, because if this year Ofsted are saying that retention of knowledge is the most important thing, they're going to ask everybody. And that's laudable in one way, but we could have had a discussion about that in our staff. Absolutely. We don't need people coming in and putting us under so much stress. So my conclusion about Ofsted is that, you know, it's made teaching a high-risk profession. Yeah, and a stressful profession. Very. We've got to take away the stress. I, I, I was engaged in a Twitter conversation the other day about Ofsted, and they were saying about grades being so debilitating, really, mm. and chasing and outstanding is debilitating yeah. because... There's so many small bits yeah. that contribute to that that actually don't contribute to being a great school. Mm. And I put on it, I said, what we need is a report which emphasises strengths, which mm. emphasises areas for development. You don't need a grade no, at all. No. But at the last sentence of the report says, we'll be back in one year which tells you there's some work to be done yeah. or we'll be back in four years, I like that. which says we're happy with yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And then you get rid of all these grades. Read the text. Yeah. Don't judge a school by one word. No. Outstanding, good, or yeah. two words requires improvement. Yeah, see, I mean, I think the only metrics you really need about a good school are whether people walk through the gate with their kids or walk past it. Yeah. And if, so if you're looking at numbers on role and, and parental feedback, that's as good a measure as paying thousands of pounds for people to come out and inspect schools. And a couple of things on that. I mean, just picking up on what you said there, I remember we spent a lot of time in one of the schools I, I, I was fortunate to lead that, that did get outstanding, where we were talking about the perfect lesson. And I had a lovely guy who was a really good teacher but slightly ASD in his, his kind of his approach to his teaching um, and, uh, you know, therefore wanted it spelt out to him. And I watched a lesson of his, at, which was a train wreck, you know, <laughs> and he was a great teacher. So, you know, I was able to sit down and say, look, you know, I think your teaching is excellent and you're making great progress with these kids. But that lesson was, was dreadful. Yeah. And he said, well, I tried to get everything in that you want. And that just summed it all up for me, because if you're trying for an outstanding grade with Ofsted, you're trying to get everything in you. That's mind. a perfect way of describing Whether it, it matters or not. Yeah, whether you need it or not. Can I also just say, um, I, I was an inspector, and what I did 11 inspections, okay? I'm not claiming that I was any good at them particularly. Uh, you have to be quite bright. To I'm do sure that. you brought some humanity to it. I hope so. What, yeah. what you need to be is academic, isn't it? You don't need to be intellectual. You don't need to be a great thinker. Mm. You need to be great at the regulatory process. Yeah. And being intelligent helps with that, mm. but it doesn't make you a good thinker about education. Absolutely not. No. And, and you, you know, they've only got a limited amount of time and they do things very fast. But I went into a, my 11th inspection and I met the brand new. HMI, who was leading the inspection outside a school on a on a, a really kind of rundown estate in South London, 7:30 on a sunny spring morning. And we just stood there, couldn't get into the school. Um, and she said, uh, well, this school's got special measures all over it, hasn't it? And I said, um, I think I sat down on the sofa that someone had chucked on the street <laughs> next <laughs> to the school gate. And, and I looked up at her and I said, but we, we, have, we haven't been inside. And she said, no, 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 but it's it's coasting. You've got a brand new head and a brand new deputy there in that school. 
and uh, they didn't have a chance to plan what they were going to do because that school went into special measures after a lot of complaints. I'd sat in a, I did the student meeting and I'd sat in a meeting with the school council um, and there were wide range of kids there, uh, Somalian kids, kids, uh, kids of Nigerian heritage, West Indian, white British uh, working class kids. They were all from quite tough backgrounds. And mm-hmm. this 10 this, uh, year old lass said to me, um, she, she pointed at this kind of really, really awful looking block of flats across the way. And she said, I live over there. She said, I live in that flat on the corner there with my three brothers and my mum. She said, we're quite crowded in there. She said, but what I want to tell you, sir, is that this school tells you you can be anything you want. This school tells you wow. you can, This she said, this school's a, an opportunity school, which was a lovely phrase. Oh, crikey, not and, off. And she said, I want to be a lawyer. And when I am a lawyer, I'm going to, I'm going to have a big house and I'm going to have all my family in there. Nobody took any account of how the kids felt about that school. They loved it. Mm. And the teachers were working their socks off. But the data wasn't quite good enough, et cetera, et cetera. So I've always had that worry about Ofsted. Yeah, and and I, I didn't do any more inspection. No, that's the pernicious thing about Ofsted, isn't it? That, and we both know this, where do most outstanding grades come from? They come from <laughs> the schools with the best catchments. Yeah. With Because then the data, the, the challenges faced in schools like that, there are still many, many challenges, yes, but yeah, they're not yeah. the same as ones that are in a very run-down no. working-class area where people are poor and where people struggle to put food on the table. It, it's just we're not comparing like with like at all with inspections, and, and that seems to me grossly unfair. Yeah, and, and that's been the case for years. I mean, see, you know, learning is a passport to, to, to kind of greater happiness and success often in life, but there are a lot of communities where it's not the most important thing. That's it. Although it could unlock things for a lot of those. And it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And we've both been head in schools where, yeah. crikey, the catchments, that these people have a difficult life. Yeah. But exactly what you've said, you don't half raise the aspirations. I had a mum in yeah. my last school said to me, uh, she said, what were you talking about Tesco's to my son for? I said, well, no, he was talking to me about Tesco's because he said, you work there. Mm. And I said, oh, that's great, isn't it? Because it looks like a good place to work. And she said, and you said to him, he ought to go to university. What's wrong with Tesco's? And I said, there's nothing wrong with Tesco's. Is there at all? Fantastic place to work. I hope you like working there. I said, but part of our job is to get them to see there's more than the life that they're used to. Yeah. And they can look outside the front door and there might be something else there. Yeah. And I said, your son is a, is a highly intelligent boy. And if he wanted to, not because I say so, but if he wanted to go to university, mm. he could if he wanted to explore a range of different professions, he could. I said, it's not what I want for him. Yeah. I said, it's not even what you want for him. It's what he wants for himself. And with part of our school is to raise aspirations that... Open doors. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's things you can do that that will give you a really fulfilling life beyond what you're used to. Yeah. Yeah. And you should have an opportunity to make that choice. No, you definitely should. So we're, we're running out of time, Richard. Okay. Much as, oh, guys, just great, man. I'd like to keep talking to you, but we can't go on forever or people have to sit forever listening to us. So let's go. One thing, mm. one thing that you you would tell a new teacher 
that this is really important. Hold on to it. Okay. Well, I I I I thought about this a bit, and I found a quote last week from Tom York, lead singer with Radiohead, and he said um, well, he was talking about creativity, but I think you could you could apply it to teaching. Um, he said the essence is to always have a beginner's mind. The search is the point. The flailing around is the point. Um, and the process is the point. And I think that that is great teaching, really, that the, the learning is the work. You never stop learning. And if you can be in one of those schools where everybody has got that kind of sense, you know, where um, you, when you break open the stick of rock, what is written inside really clearly says we're all learners. We're all in this together. We trust. We support. We're going to make mistakes, but we're aspirational for these people and for ourselves that's really important because sometimes i think schools focus so much on children yeah they forget about no them. it's about everybody about the in the school isn't it yeah so i mean I, I i would say you know your own impact grows in a team so as an nqt get to understand exactly what the ethos of your school is and do you buy into it do you believe it and can you add to it mm. um and if you can't, don't hang around too long because there's plenty of magical schools where alchemy is going on. Yeah, no, there are. Um, don't hang around too long if what you're in is cutting you off at the neck. Yeah. And the heart. I'd, absolutely. Both of those, isn't it? Yeah. Neck and heart. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd echo that completely. There are a lot of wonderful schools, but yeah. you've got to find the ones that match what you believe in as a teacher and don't be afraid to move on if if what you're yeah. experiencing isn't what you'd yeah. expected it to be. Because from day one, you should be able to contribute to that ethos. And if you can't, then either you're in the wrong place or it's just not got the right ethos. Yeah. Hey, great advice. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for talking to me today. Pleasure. The way you speak makes me think of some of those great civil rights activists who've experienced ter terrible things in their lives, but make positive things happen. One of these great people is American poet Maya Angelou. She's said a couple of things that really resonate with the things you've said today. One is particularly well known. She said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that links back, doesn't it, to creating a great school environment. She also said, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude about it. Don't complain. And, and you've made that really clear today. Because having a positive attitude is so important for everyone in school and contributing, as you said, so important. So, all you teachers out there, what now? What's the one small thing that you will do that will make a difference to your teaching and a difference to the success of your pupils? If you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll keep you updated on what's to come and more on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to more educational chat next time. Until then, thanks, Richard. And I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT. I might change that at some point, but at the moment, I like that combination. <laughs>